RPG Pop Club RPG Pop Club RPG Pop Club RPG Pop Club Yeah! Hi, I'm Philip Sokoloff. And I'm Sarah Nicole Carter. And this is RPG Pop Club. Each week we play a Star Trek tabletop RPG adventure and then we review it. Today we are playing the Shuttlecraft Crash. That's right. Sarah Nicole. Yes. This is our first podcast. It is our first podcast. Yeah. You and I met in college mm-hmm. and we discovered our mutual interests included D&D and we played a crap ton of it. Many, many, many years of playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. With an awesome group, which included both our future spouses. Yes. My husband, Eric. Your wife. My, yeah. My wife, April. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are here with us. We will uh, bring them in later, maybe a bit. So after years had passed, I recall at one point you brought up Star Trek. And I think this was after we'd all moved away. It was after college. You said, like, guys, I want, let, I want to let you in on my secret world. My private true inner self. <laughs> Let's have a Star Trek rewatch together. Do you remember that? Yes, I think I remember that. Yep. Yeah, I think that was the first time I really realized that that was something near and dear to your heart. I don't think I was really into Star Trek at the time, but that always stuck with me. Blasphemy that you weren't into Star Trek yet. That is completely unbelievable. Well, for whatever reason, it was never watched in my house. You know, I saw it from time to time, but. Here we are now. We're doing a Star Trek podcast. Why Star Trek and why now? Do you like Star Trek? Yeah, I like Star Trek. Star Trek <laughs> is like my favorite pop culture fandom. Um, I started watching Star Trek with my grandpa, who was my father figure growing up, and we watched the entire original series. And then we watched The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, and it was something that was really special to me to share with him. And I really fell in love with science fiction and the series, and I loved every single series for its own specific reason, but the original series has a really special place in my heart, and so does The Next Generation. Right. So you are like the Star Trek expert on this (laughs) podcast, and I'm a little bit like the newbie, a little bit. I I really got into um, the original series. Um, but my my knowledge of all the rest of the franchise is a little spotty. Um, what what I love about Star Trek, it's the ultimate comfort television, and it also really sparks the imagination. You've got the you know the strong parent figures, you know the captain. Everyone's just kind of like reliable and awesome, and they're just showing you a future that you want to live in, an awesome future. Oh, I agree with that. And one other thing that I like. And this might be a controversial statement, but I really noticed rewatching some of it recently is that Star Trek is sexy. And yeah. for the time period, like it's so much sex. And for me as a young person watching it, it was kind of my first introduction to some of these more adult themes. Um, but, you know, it was handled safely for primetime TV. And so mm-hmm. you were kind of like safely introduced to the concept of this. Uh, and that like turned into me having the biggest crush on Spock forever. He's like the original OG gangster in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> That's the kind of future I like, a sexy future. <laughs> right? Like mini skirts and shirtless men. It's perfect. Oh yeah. Well the ladies' <laughs> costumes are always like falling off. But it's same with the boys. It's equal opportunity. Like no matter yeah. what you're into, they had something for you. It's perfect. Oh yeah. 
important important topics that we will be covering in this RPG podcast. Well, maybe it is. I mean, anything we can talk about that differentiates Star Trek from other things is going to be useful in in how we talk about a Star Trek RPG. What makes Star Trek different from things where there's like uh, you're going to war with bugs and you've got big old like uh, you know uh, combat suits and stuff, big wars and stuff. Um, that's to me not really Star Trek. Sure, maybe more star starship troopers or, but I mean it still has aspects of all of that. So mm-hmm. you know Star Trek, we still have big wars, we get big space battles. We have all of that. And I would say that one of the things that really separates it for me is that there's more of a cerebral element. And there's a thinking, like, if we go back to my obsession with Spock, that there's a logic to everything. Even situations that are, um, like, totally kooky or in the original series, especially situations that are impossible and crazy, that there's no way out. They still try to logic their way out of the situations. And I think um, in Next Generation, Picard even has a quote like that. Like, there's always a way out if if you look hard enough. Um, maybe I'm misquoting terribly, but that's fine. And, you know, one other thing is that opposed to space opera or frontier space fandoms, this this definitely is more cerebral, right? Yeah. And I think that differentiates Star Trek. The focus on logic, not always being the brawn that gets you three, through. Of course, there's always brawn in the original series, especially. Of course. There, there's fights, but but hopefully they don't like they see they don't see an, an alien. They're like blast them. Yeah, I guess they do that in Friday's Child, and then the guy immediately dies. Klingons <laughs> pulls out his phaser, and whoosh, he's dead. But he gets it. Like, it's like that's, that's not what you're not supposed to do. Yeah, but the universe punishes him immediately. Right. Right. Because in that universe, the rule is don't do that. I kind of think like you know in D and D there's alignment, and it's good versus evil, it's law versus chaos, and. I think it'd be interesting to think about in Star Trek um, that core conflict being logic versus emotion. You know, there's always the Spock versus McCoy argument and uh, different alien species uh, embodying that as well. Um, Or another conflict might be free will versus utopianism. Mm. That's always Kirk's thing, you know, fighting for free will. And uh, some of these themes are things that keep coming back. So we might see how we might integrate that into an RPG uh, and it might be neat to give the characters alignments based on moral quandaries. So we have talked about how we're D and D players and that's how we met. So why are we doing Star Trek now? Well, for me, it's a couple of things. I've been into Star Trek for a while and, and now I've been the whole time I've been wanting to run a Star Trek RPG and I found um, it's really hard to find reviews of Star Trek modules. There's a whole bunch of them that came out over the years, especially in the 80s and 90s. But up to the present day, they're still coming out. And it's really hard to find reviews. And the reviews that are out there are mostly people who just read the module and then are commenting on how they think it would play out. That's not really as useful, I think, as someone who plays it and then reviews it. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah, I like that better. And I think that's really hard to understand a module unless you've actually played it, because what's on the paper is not the actual comprehensive gameplay experience. Right. And then I noticed that in Star Trek modules, uh, they're usually something you could play in a single session. And I think that'll work out great. It's like you watch when you watch an episode of the show, 
it's a standalone episode. And I think that translates potentially really well into an RPG session. So now we can just power through a single scenario in a single night. And um, given uh, where we are in life now, I think that's good for our attention span. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think it's important to note, too, that the game is set up to be played that way. But our particular group of players is used to playing a game that went on for like five years, six years. Well, it was three years of playing like every week, getting together and picking up where we left off, like a continuous campaign. And then after that, we did a, a, a smattering of gaming for years and years. Right. So we're used to playing the long game or the long adventure with maybe the same character for a long time, except I think you killed my first character like 30 minutes into our very first mm. gameplay session. So, but then I had my. I killed it? <laughs> yep. No, was I was impartial. You. Totally impartial. <laughs> but I do think, I, I absolutely think it's an interesting dynamic that we should talk about um, when we're playing a module that's supposed to be played in one night versus a campaign that can span years and years. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm very interested to see how that works out. Mm -hmm. We'll discover that. Well, finally, the thing I thought that was really appealing about this is that if we were to play through every published Star Trek adventure in the order that they came out, at the end of the day, it's like we will have experienced like a lost Star Trek TV show, you know, like a lost season mm. or, or or series of Star Trek. It's actually been out there. Um for all these years. And uh, so something we get to uh, live. And um, and it might be something that has influenced the rest of the franchise in some way. We'll see. But either way, just uh, it's more Star Trek. Yeah, that's so cool. I, I love that idea that we're like playing a Lost series. That's so cool. Um, I have a question, and I honestly don't know the answer to this, but are any of these authors of of the modules people who have written star trek books or anything that actually is canon that's a good question the only thing i know about there's a klingon supplement it was written by john m ford who's famous for writing a couple novels especially the final reflection um which is a novel about klingons people say it's the best star trek novel ever um and so that's the only connection i know about mm -hmm. that the rpg was connected in with this um, novel side development of Klingon lore, but I actually think I don't know how much of that was picked up by the next generation and the following series. Maybe some of it was, and some of it was um, they went against it on purpose. Uh, I'm not really sure. Either way, that's still kind of interesting to see how the franchise uh, grows and, and reacts to things, whether um, positively or even against it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it'll be really interesting to kind of treat like treat this like maybe an alternate timeline adventure, you know, especially since mm -hmm. it's super, thing. yeah, it's super canon to have a million different timelines or not a million different timelines, but different timelines. Yeah. But it's interesting um, if we can find out later, even if there are people who are actually involved in Star Trek canon stuff, writing these adventures, that'd be cool to know. Yeah. Well, I honestly haven't looked too far ahead at the model modules that we'll be running, so it'll be a voyage of discovery for me, too. <laughs> Dear listeners, we will find out that information and report back. All right. Well, how about we talk about character creation a little bit? Ooh, let's do it. So 
this is not going to be a rules podcast, but we got to let you guys in on kind of the ins and outs, kind of the, the basic building blocks that we needed to bring in to run a Star Trek game. So um, I found this thing called a, um, a life path generator. And the players, uh, they kind of roll their basic stats like in any RPG. And then they rolled to see um, what all their past tours were and, and maybe uh, some interesting and fun facts about themselves. Did you enjoy this process, Sarah Nicole? I did. Um, you know, with, with D&D especially, you're used to having that big old thick PH that tells you all the things about your character. And even now, like, I don't know if you've opened the fifth edition anything. Mm-mm. I think they'll give you like what i don't know like character traits and stuff like that it gets real specific it's just really easy to roll a character with a backstory immediately and i think the backstory part is the most fun because that allows you to come in you know guns a blazing with something ready to do when you get thrown into gameplay you have something to hook onto right so having that life generator was fun and it also kind of got me more in star trek mood you know, thinking about tours of duty and what my character had done in the past. That was cool. It was fun. Right. Well, in the old school D&D that we've always run, like you mentioned, I'll kill you off right away. <laughs> uh, so you better not make a backstory. <laughs> yeah. If someone comes in and starts talking about their mother, I'll look at you funny. Phil's like, going to get you. You're going to die, dude. <laughs> don't even bother. I well, didn't always... even know you very well. I'm sorry. And you killed no. me like within 30 minutes and i was like so angry because every time i would play D before we had these big epic things and i was like you killed her for reals and everyone's like yep roll up a new one like yeah. it was nothing and i was it next. was a, yeah next character <laughs> it, was, it just like shattered me but then my next character Aww. was the character we played for a thousand years so and she's badass well, I've always felt that the most memorable things to come out of a RPG session are the things that the players did in the session. And like any sort of lore or anything that I threw you guys in the D&D campaign, you'd be like, huh, what? <laughs> uh, like, here's my like 30 page like world document. Like no one ever read it. It'd be like, you're in the temple of elemental evil and you're like, and here is Prince Thrommel. And like, <laughs> look around the table like, Huh? Who? What? Okay. <laughs> well, did you guys know that you're that was the whole quest? No. no, no idea. They just remember like people attacking each other with their dicks. <laughs> yeah, we were very young, I should say, and in college when we started, we were all incredibly immature. I don't know that we've moved very far from that, dear listeners. So apologies now if you don't want to hear really bad puns or terrible lowbrow humor. Um, yeah, because that's kind of what we're about. There, there will we should be probably be upfront about that. Yeah, yeah, there will there be a lot of those sorts jokes. of jokes. Um, so, but if you're into that kind of nonsense, we're <laughs> here. We are <laughs> probably a typical RPG group in that sense, honestly. Thank you. But anyway, let's see. So we, uh, so maybe Star Trek is a little different than D and D. Maybe the characters won't die off right away. I guess we'll we'll find out. But, I'm but, already laughing. <laughs> but it's a different paradigm because there is an established universe a little bit. You're not just in some village and it doesn't matter. It's an inn and whatever. Um, so, so the next thing we had to do was figure out what the name of our ship was. And again, there's an established like ro- roster of ships. 
And so um, we're starting on a, a scout vessel and uh, we rolled up the name of the scout vessel, hoping it to be something epic. And what do we <laughs> turn up with, Sarah Nicole? Um, we got the Cody. Yeah. The Cody. The Cody. <laughs> it's it's a respectable name. There's a, a famous explorer. Mm -hmm. Wild Bill Cody or Buffalo Bill Cody, whatever it is. It, it was so not famous. Wasn't named after Buffalo Bill Cody. What? Really? Yeah. Because oh he's a scout. Buffalo oh, Bill my gosh. Cody. I am deceased. Oh. Um, but yeah, I think we were all hoping for something epic and grand, you know, the Excelsior or Excalibur or something of that nature. And it was yeah. the Cody. I think we actually rolled a few other different results. And we went back to Cody because it was just too hilarious. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think we felt like Cody was like the name of the kid you sat next to in sixth grade who maybe smelled weird i don't know apologies to everybody <laughs> named cody out there yeah. it's a fine name yeah i think we just expect a little more gravitas you know yeah. it was Sorry, our first me. ship you know like our first star trek adventure and we rolled up cody yeah i don't know we'll add anticlimactic well and then um so this adventure actually starts on a shuttle craft we don't actually get to the cody yet and um I let you guys name the uh, shuttlecraft, and Eric called it the Hancock. <laughs> and again, some people wanted to call it something else more elegant, but that's the one that stuck. I think so. we thought that we should call it the Louisa. Is that right? That was my we... suggestion because that was that was Buffalo Bill's wife was Louisa, right. which was an elegant and and beautiful name for a, a feminine vessel. But yeah. then we voted, and so of course the twelve-year-olds in our group, the grown men with children and careers, <laughs> all decided it should be the Hickok. Eric was thinking Hickok, like Wild Bill Hickok, as a as an analogy to Buffalo Bill Cody. So that's yeah. how that came up. Oh well. <laughs> anyway, but now we're happy with it. Now we love it. Now it's okay. It's, it it kind of sticks. Well, yeah. let's let's uh, hope the the Hancock lives forever. <laughs> um, shall we go ahead and do our recap? Let's do it. All right. So we're going to, uh, should we tell him about the segments that we're going to have? Sure. We'll have, we'll start with the commander's log. This is read by the character uh, played by Dave, our buddy Dave. Um, he's going to read a commander's log, just like at the beginning of a Star Trek episode, okay. and then and then um, next will be landing party. That's where we're, we'll, where we will uh, get to know the different characters, and then we'll do our recap, and uh, and then we'll talk about whether we liked the module. Sound good? Sounds great. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. We set off in the shuttle Hancock. Yeah. <laughs> we were drawn through a wormhole and found ourselves in an unknown location, which we later learned was known as the Grappagos Sector. After months of harrowing adventure in the Grappagos Sector, in which we tragically lost Commander McGillicuddy, we were finally on a course heading, which will, we hope, lead us back to the Vetherian Nebula using conventional warp travel. Things finally seem to be going well. Thank you, Dave. 
<laughs> Thanks, Dave. Pro. So now let's, shall we do a landing party now? This is where we meet all the members of the crew. Take it away, crew. <laughs> all right, Eric, why don't you start? All right, indeed. Uh, I am Ensign Valentin Laurent. Yeah, I was going to say, Ensign uh, Laurent, it is super nice to meet you. Uh, I am Ensign De Los Santos. Dave. Yeah. Well, I am uh, Lieutenant Heinrich Vogler. How about April? So my name is uh, Trist. I'm a doctor. Um, I'm Argelian. All right, John, you're up. All right, so uh, I'm um, Lieutenant Yakov uh, Zeldovich. All right, Ava. Hello. My name is Mimsy Outgraves. I'm Australian. Jolly good. All right. I believe we have one left. Sarah Nicole. Um, so I'm a Vulcan. My name is Tapru. Okay. So we heard from Dave's uh, recap that everyone is in a shuttle. They've been through lots of harrowing adventures. There's seven people in the shuttlecraft. They're trying to get back to their ship, the Cody. Why don't you tell us what happened, Sarah Nicole? So the evening began with a discussion amongst the crew to determine shuttle logistics. Indeed. Is there a head in the shuttle? <laughs> you guys all watched uh, the episode of the Galileo 7 recently? Yeah. They, yeah. they don't explore the bathroom, the science of bathrooms <laughs> in Star Trek. Not, not so much. Well, maybe in the future they don't have to go to the bathroom. Ensign de los Santos is, of course, on the bridge as well at the comm station. Yeah, there's no bridge. It's all just kind of like a little bus. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yes. I'm very glad we've now covered the uh, the core issue. The most important issue of this episode is whether there's a bathroom in the in the shuttlecraft. Dear listeners, if you know the answer to whether or not there's a bathroom in the shuttlecraft, please feel free to email us at, what is it, rpgpopclub at gmail.com. And yes. Let engineer Eric know your thoughts and feelings. We have to set up like uh, a chat room or a, an internet web forum where people can like post the blueprints and stuff that they found. I'm fairly certain proving, on our disproving it. Yeah, I think on our Patreon we're going to have a Discord. I don't know if can you post things on Discord. Yeah, you can, right? We'll find a way. There have yeah. to be there have to be wars of who's right on this one because <laughs> I just need to know. I need to know the correct answer. We're we're desperate to know this. This is something we talk about a lot personally. Me and Philip long into the night with mugs of <laughs> ale. Yeah, <laughs> long pipes. Like lying well, in bed, like on the phone, like so. But in fluffy robes, <laughs> like a pajama yeah. party. Yeah. So anyway, talking about what it's like in the future on the. <laughs> We'll yep. just have to we'll just have to revisit that next episode because we just don't have the answers. No, we well, don't. suddenly suddenly the ship began losing power. Lieutenant, we're losing power. Um, Lieutenant but, uh, Vogler, what are your orders? We're 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 dropping out of warp. We're we're gonna be dead in the water. <laughs> um <laughs> Look for the best. 
Lieutenant, it's a Class M planet. Has oxygen, nitrogen, atmosphere. It's capable of sustaining human life. Eric, it looks like uh, all you're going to need to repair um, the shuttle's engines is a small quantity of dilithium. Oh, is that all? Uh, Captain, Lieutenant Zeldovich is going to scan for life forms while I'm using the shuttle's instruments to scan for a local <laughs> energy source that might match the profile of dilithium. <laughs> Listen, I have one job on this ship. One job. <laughs> <laughs> I do it. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> it works. It works great. <laughs> so I'll say something, and, and Aaron will read it back because he's the communications officer. <laughs> or nice someone, clips. someone starts to say something. Anybody says something, and he'll repeat it back. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, so did so, we? No, oh, go ahead. No, after after you. No, ladies first. I was just going to continue with the recap. Please. Oh, all right. Helmsman, <laughs> maybe I'm not. <laughs> Helmsman Laurent is able to bring the ship down safely, so he stays behind to guard the ship and continue running scans while the rest of the crew disembarks to find dilithium. There's some discussion about where they should look and who should control the party's only tricorder. I think it would be logical to have somebody with a higher intelligence hold the tricorder for a moment. <laughs> oh, snap. Who had the who had the tricorder that had lower intelligence? Hmm, probably John. John. John's character is the science officer, right? Look at all yeah. of us saying it was probably John. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder. Also, did we have some roles that went haywire that made me say that? Probably. I think so. You are the um, you're a Vulcan, but you're not the science officer. You're the um, security officer, mm -hmm. right? Security chief. Yep. But um, with with typical Vulcan, uh, uh, what would you say? Uh, <laughs> yes, you think that you should be doing everything because you have the most intelligence. Probably accurate. I think that works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So finally, the party starts looking to the northwest. Ensign Outgraves is injured in a in a rock fall. The party continues to scan for life forms. They finally detect some vegetation which looks thorny and generally dangerous. All right, Commander Vogler, I'm going to take a moment to briefly relieve myself behind this rock. I'll be right back. All right. All right. I'm going to run another scan and see if I can... Uh, do we, kind of do we do with the see if we can detect Aaron's dick. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, it's uh, too small for my sensors. Oh there you go. <laughs> there it is, folks. We promise. Lieutenant Zeldovich has detected some life signs. Are they human? Are they humanoid? They play her to be uh, vegetation-like, right? Yeah. They appear to be plants. <laughs> <laughs> Let's check them out. Adventure! So we're going to kind of all um, make our way over there? You just want to know if you can ferment it. Maybe. Or smoke it. Go ahead, Try not to get within, within a spore shooting range, but uh, say, hello, little plant. How are we doing today? 
April, are you meanwhile doing your empathy, trying yeah. to sense its emotions? Yes. Okay. It's 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 a plant, so it doesn't have emotions. <laughs> oh Maybe no! Twelve damage. Commander Vogler was hit with a flaming thorn. Twelve. Oh. Damn. Holy smokes! Twelve. He's on yeah. fire and okay, has I, a hole. Oh So Lieutenant Vogler heads back to the ship alone, but Lieutenant Tapru and Lieutenant Zeldovich have a hard time determining who will assume command when Lieutenant Vogler refuses to make the call. Commander Vogler was injured uh, by a aggressive plant that put a hole in him and then set him on fire. He will be <laughs> returning to the ship. Uh, he's badly wounded, but insisted on coming alone and not designating a, a new commander. Uh, active. So, yeah, that was kind of interesting. So uh, the party continued on, and Ensign Laurent directed the party to some glowing rocks he saw with his binoculars away from Section G on the map grid. Ensign Laurent, we investigated the glowing rocks, and while they were veiny and throbbing, we also uh, used the tricorder to detect that it was uh, violently radioactive and oh. not, in fact, dilithium. So we are going to uh, withdraw back towards the G-spot and investigate other potential areas where we might find dilithium. Okay, so you, you, you have to look at the map for this episode. Yeah, it's on our website. It's on our website, and you might have heard that we mentioned some of the rocks were veiny and throbbing, and then we mentioned the G-spot. Just look at the map, and you tell me. You email us and let us know what you think the protuberances on the map look like, and that we can just leave it at that. We yeah. Just move forward. It's probably the best part of the map, by the way. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so the party finds evidence of life. Janet uh, Zeldovich has detected that there are multiple life forms down this vaguely flaccid penis-shaped passageway. Uh, and, uh, you may also be able to hear them. They sound like an angry parent shushing a child. Oh, shoot. Okay, so meanwhile, back at the shuttle... You're well, a sound. Said then. In fact, you you feel the ship shaking, and you hear a roaring sound. That's something is outside the ship, rocking the doors. Lock the doors. Lock the doors. This is uh, Ensign Laurent on the Hancock. We are under attack by a giant humanoid uh, with a spear. It is rocking the ship. I don't know. Uh, Yes. We're under attack. That might, go that might have been one reason to check out the uh, the life forms before you pressed on. Would have been to uh, sort of see, not leave anything on your rear. Hmm. I have a bidet for that. <laughs> <laughs> Set him up for that one. I know, that was too easy. So after the battle with the giant humanoid, the party stands victorious over the fallen creature. After arguing for some time about where to go next, the game master decides to step in. 
here's how I think procedurally this should go. John's leading a team. Sarah Nicole's leading a team. Everyone has to follow on one or the other team. John and Aaron, you can... the classic asshole team. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we have one party going north. That's uh, to Prue's team. And they find another patch of plants that shoots flaming thorns. Um, the other team, that's Team Asshole, they find the abandoned lair of the creature <laughs> that just captured them. And it seems to have a harem of females, uh, passive females. They also find evidence of more life. Commander, Commander, there's a kitten. There's a murder kitten. We're live. Um, you did not kill that murder kitten? You just walked by it? Uh, we did walk no. by it. That's right. We have killed a cactus. <laughs> Congratulations. Epic. Finally, the party starts finding things that are useful. Tricorder inside this cave, please. Uh, right. Tricorder inside the cave. Great. You detect. There's no dilithium here, but there is lithium. Well, not as capable of repairing a ship engines as dilithium. This might be enough to lift the shuttlecraft off the planet and put it in orbit. Look, this is our backup plan. Let's put a pin in this, yeah. Yeah. All right, an outcropping of almost pure dilithium crystals. More than enough to repair the shuttlecraft's engines. Woo! All right, guys. Well, you repair your shuttle, you take off back into space, and your your journey back to the, the great ship Cody continues. Yay! All right. Yay! Yay! We did it. Yeah. So uh, they took off in the shuttle. Well, shall we talk about this module? What we thought about the module? I think we should. Well, let me do a little intro. So Perfect. this module is from the first licensed Star Trek RPG. It's from 1978. It's called Star Trek Adventure Gaming in the Final Frontier. And it's written by Michael Scott. Um, in this rule set, he provides two sample adventures. So we played the first one, which is it's called like the basic scenario or something like that. It's called the Shuttlecraft Crash. And it's clearly based on the episode the Galileo 7. It's a similar planet to that episode where it's just kind of like there's big cliffs everywhere and there's humanoids and there's random shit around there and they've got to fix their shuttle. And what episode is that? It's from the original series episode? What's that? Uh, it's, from, it's from season one and it's episode 14. Ah, very good. Yes. Cool. So what did you think of the adventure, Sarah Nicole? Uh, I really had fun. I really liked it. Um, you know, it was different than what we're used to playing because we've always primarily been a D and D group, and yeah. uh, this kind of touches on a, a bigger point that I want to bring up. Um, so I'm just I'm just gonna get to it. So as we mentioned, we play with the same group for years regularly every Friday D and D Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And we played a really specific game, and so I think we're all very used to that style of gameplay and that scoring system. And so we're used to doing more of a dungeon crawl, clear every room, because you get XP for what you kill. Yeah. So 
that and also you kind of touched earlier that we weren't so good at reading source material and things like that we were kind of more um i don't want to say hack and slash because we did you know we played sometimes cautiously but we we just you know we're, we're used to a different about, style it's all about finding all the treasure yeah and so i think that informed a lot of our gameplay in this module so yeah 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 um well yeah so you, you think that uh in a star trek rpg you might not necessarily want to to turn over every rock and push every button and uh kill every creature there would be right. a different approach exactly and i sensed um some frustration from you as the game master because we weren't really following a lot of the cues that you were kind of graciously and kindly giving us as to what we should do next. And I think you were being very generous with hints, um, which was one of the reasons I was being trying to move us forward. Let's keep going. We don't need to kill every single thing. Um, and I wonder how we can get our group more used to these kind of one night adventures, right? Where you jump in, you, you go to the objective, right? Um, since mm -hmm. we're used to playing over a long, long period of time. And one other thing is that I don't really feel like we were playing a Star Trek RPG necessarily because we were in a one-off Shuttlecraft adventure. I didn't feel like the gameplay mechanics um, were really there. It felt like it was an adventure that could have been skinned with anything. So yeah. it, it could have been it could have been a Starship Troopers game or it could have been I don't know, my little pony adventure that you were just in a craft coming in from space. I don't know. But we still played it like D&D. &D. And so I want to know from you as the game master, what can we do from an RPG standpoint or when the actual rules, what is there in the literature, what's there in the book that will make it feel more Star Trek? Yeah. Well, let me tell you a bit about this RPG. It was published by Heritage, which was a miniatures company. So they got a license to create a bunch of miniatures. You know, like here's your Kirk and your Spock, your McCoy, Yeoman Ran, some Klingons, and so on. And so this rule set is almost like it's just a tie-in for that. And so clearly it has a very limited idea of what an RPG can be. And it's just landing on planets and having kind of a shootout, I guess, with your miniatures maybe exploring a bit, but mainly just, you know, you move 10 meters and then you fire and that sort of stuff. So you're right. It doesn't really capture all the things that you would think of as being in a Star Trek RPG. Can I interject what? something? Yeah. So my personal opinion of this one was without our particular D&D &D party, which is very fun to play with, this is a very boring scenario. We fought <laughs> a cactus. Oh. Yeah. We crept past a cat. Yeah. And and then there were a couple giants that obviously just needed to be killed. Like there was no I mean we we talked about reasoning with them. We talked about um you know finding out if the plant wasn't just a plant. Like in Star Trek there was all kinds of weird shit. Um anytime you'd go to a planet, all kinds of, you know, clouds and weird things had um you know, we're able to communicate and things like that. And here it was just a plant that shot fire at you that you had to destroy and some giants that you had to destroy and a cat that if it woke up, you would have to destroy. And then, oh, hooray, we found dilithium in a cave and we're done. 
So totally. for me, the RPG itself was lame. Well, yeah, I felt like it was meant to go faster, right? I felt like we were doing our let's be incredibly careful and check every room and listen to every door and we're going to detect magic. And, you know, all of us were being very cautious because we are seasoned D&D players as much as I'm, like, ribbing on us for, you know, going in and killing everything. We we know how to play D&D, right? Yeah. And we didn't need to do that. We kind of needed to be 1960s bravado and, like, machismo our way through it. Like, just, like, we were, like, why the dilithium if something comes at us we're killing it you know we're five of us are gonna die because our shirts are red i don't know i feel like <laughs> if we played with that spirit it might not have been so i i don't want to say tedious because it wasn't tedious i was with my pals playing a game you know we had a lot of fun you heard us make a lot of stupid jokes but yeah but you know it could have it could have been more right so would you say your comments are applicable to this particular adventure but not necessarily what you would want every Star Trek RPG to be when you say like, let's just be 1960s bravado and let people die. Um, Not like, let's just, ah, ha, ha, let people die. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, did you think there was at least a little bit of discussion of the prime directive or how to approach the species, whether they were sentient or not? You know, not a lot, but at least we started to talk a little bit in a way which we never have in D and D about these issues. Yeah, yeah, that was good. But I think also some of it was me being a, a Star Trek fan, being a little pissed off we were doing stuff like D&D. Like, why are you fucking killing everything? Like, yeah. can't, you can't do that in this universe, right? Right. It, it can't be a Starfleet officer and come to a new planet, haven't made contact with these people, and then just start killing everything. You know, that's just, it's not the same as in D&D. I mean, that's... Yeah. Like first contact is a very there's a movie called First Contact, right? Like it's a big deal, right? Yeah. But it's not the same thing as D D. When you open a door, there's some cobalts in there and you're like, Yeah, it's XP time, right? No, it's different. Or TPK <laughs> and, time. Yeah. Well, with you, yes, TPK yes. time. And so I think that's something we just need to talk about with our group, have a discussion about. I don't know. I don't know if the game actually has anything to support more role playing like that. Or role-playing, or if we're just going to have to do it amongst ourselves? I do think in future modules that it'll move out of this mode of a, just a, a plain planet crawl, or even just a plain ship crawl. I think it'll move into something more interesting, I hope. Cool. And you think the modules support that? Yeah, I think eventually they do. Um, I mean, you know, and it's okay for this to be one kind of a Star Trek episode, right? Every Not every element of Star Trek is in every episode of Star Trek. But, um, but I made a list of sort of some different elements I would expect to show up in a Star Trek adventure. Not all of them again, but some of them. Making contact with the natives in a sort of way which involves diplomacy or a moral quandary. You know, there was no real space travel. We didn't really get into space travel or space battles. We didn't really use transporters. You know, there wasn't any, there weren't any tech or technological solutions to anything. There was no time travel, no alternate universes. And like April mentioned, the pod plants could have been sentient. That's the sort of thing that could have happened in Star Trek. Sure. It just was not really a thing, right? So outside the box thinking, there was no stuff that could alter the behavior of the crew. We see that in many episodes of Star Trek. And that's a, a, 
a fun source of conflict. There wasn't stuff for the different departments to do. Like there wasn't something for the engineers to engineer or the medical officer to try and cure or the scientist to try and come up with some sort of science solution. It was just kind of like, here you are, you have your specialties naturally, but you're all actually just kind of functioning as red shirts with no skills other than to walk around and try and fight stuff. Sure. Well, you mentioned you don't think that there were things for each department to do. And I don't necessarily think that was true. Like medical had something to do. Engineering was able to check the ship and and see what we needed. So people started to get into their roles. And I like that. And I thought the character creation process was really interesting. Like the things you could roll for and how you rolled for it, like your past tours of duty. Yeah. Um, And so this is maybe a digression, but I don't know what in the character creation was yours and what was in the modules. Like, I don't know right. where that came from. Like, how much of it did you that create? Was, well, yeah, I sort of mentioned before, but I found that just online, um, the um, the Life Path Generator is from another rule set called Where No Man Has Gone Before. Um, this rule set, Star Trek Adventure Gaming in the Final Frontier, um, uh, it doesn't even really have character progression or anything. It's just very, very simple. And uh, it definitely is not included in the module. The module doesn't even talk about how you get on the planet, you know, what happens before, or what happens after at all. So all that stuff about McGillicuddy and the wormhole and the, you know, trying to get back to the Cody and stuff. Uh, that was all stuff that I added. Um so I've sort of cobbled together a bunch of different RPGs. Um, you know, I, I kind of take what I need a la carte. We'll put our rules up on the website and people can sort of see. But I tend to be a rules-like kind of guy. I don't really like super complicated characters or super, super complicated combat rules or anything like that. Um, but stuff like the Life Path Generator is inspirational and fun. So I think it fits right in. Um, you know, artifacts or past history with nemeses, that sort of stuff. Yeah, speaking of that a little bit, I I wish we were kind of talking about our backstories or reading our backstories. Um, like John yeah. was like, "Yeah, I fought a cloud monster, and I had also rolled to fight a cloud monster on one of my tours." And I was like, "Whoa, were we on the same ship? Like, mm-hmm. that's very random that we both fought a cloud monster, but we weren't on the same ship because we hadn't rolled for it. You know, that would be weird. This cloud monster just tearing up space, but it would be cool to know." Yeah, um, like. We kind of talked to producer Eric about this. It would be cool to know we're on a shuttle with these people, but we've maybe had some past interaction with them. And it would be neat to maybe roll for your familiarity with each person. Or do you have a grudge? Do you think person's cute? Mm-hmm. You know, have you served together before? Because we were thinking or uh, we've been rewatching the pilots of the original series and next generation looking how they throw people together and you know how people meet for the first time and it kind of sets up and informs the rest of those relationships and so i missed that in this it would be neat if there was a mechanic to figure out what your relationship was to these people or or just set it up like you're all brand new officers and you just happen to be on a shuttle or something like that yeah well i want you guys to to message each other and come up with ideas of connections that you may have. Um, That's not really something I'm I'm not really sure I can facilitate. I guess you said we could like look at the backstories and find those correlations, maybe make a table of that. So the people who served on the Exeter might've all served together, that sort of thing. There are a few of those. Yeah. So we, we as a group, we need to go through and figure that out maybe before a gameplay session or something. I feel like, 
you mentioned in the pilots that they talk about people's past relationships or they have initial encounters with people which sort of set up how they feel about each other and how they're going to relate to each other. It does happen a little bit, um, but it's also like it unfolds over multiple episodes. Sure. I'm, yeah, you're going to get you're going to get mad at me because I'm going to bring up the next generation a lot and I'm going to apologize in advance to everybody about that. I'm going to no. talk about it a lot. It's okay. <laughs> I think, I think it's great that we have you to, um, to represent our next generation audience and original series audience. Whereas I can, um, I don't know, just be the original series purist. So we have different <laughs> perspectives. I like it. Well, uh, so like if we're talking about Troy and Riker's relationship, they have a huge backstory, right? And we see it, but they mention a couple of words or have a couple moments, a couple sentences together. And you're like, whoa, what's there? You know, that's some sexy stuff. And then Picard and Beverly Crusher have a huge elaborate backstory as well. And they're hinted at a little bit, but you know, somebody already thought about some, if not all of that, right? Somebody had already thought about these and where can they take these relationships and where have they already been? So even yeah. at, you know, yeah. yeah, they have a series Bible. And there was an author of the series Bible who tied it all together, basically. Right, which I guess is you right I now. I guess. <laughs> I guess I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> well, let's let's wrap up talking about the module as published and where we think its strengths and weaknesses lie. Oh, I have one more thing to talk about. Okay, go for it. <laughs> um, so starting equipment. Yeah, starting equipment. You mean where I made you like buy stuff instead of just get issued stuff? Yeah, is that the module or is that you? That's me. Okay, um, I hated that. I thought it was I terrible. I think there should have been standard issue equipment because okay. you're, in, you're working for Starfleet. I'm glad. I'm glad you brought this up. <laughs> okay, so here's what happened. There, there's a price list in the game, and it has all the equipment. And it actually even says in the game, like, I don't even know what you would do with this price list because you probably just get all your equipment issued to you anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Well, <laughs> I know. Okay. Well, I have a different philosophy, okay? Can we get into philosophy a bit? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, there's this thing called GNS theory or tripart or threefold theory. Okay. So the G is, is gamist, N is narrativist, and S is simulationist. Have I lost you yet? No, I'm right here. Okay, so a narrativist would be like, we're all getting together to tell a story together, and, and I, the game master, already have like a story in mind. So everything that we're doing in the game goes to further that story, okay? Yep. Gamist is just like game for game's sake. So what will be fun to play? So you might prioritize concerns of like game balance, or um, things that are just like fun. So it, it doesn't necessarily have to do with whether it would make a good story or whether it would make a good simulation. A simulation is where you're just using the logic of the universe. So in the 23rd or 24th century or whatever, there's no want, there's no scarcity of materials. So why would you need to have only one tricorder on board? So anything that you do in a game can be approached from one of these three angles, right? Right. So like with this scenario, I thought it'd be fun for there to be a little bit of tension. Like, do we want to buy it? Do we want to have a tricorder or do we want to have everybody armed to the teeth with phasers? Um, right. 
what will be useful? Are we going to fight the aliens or are we going to try and leave them alone? And so that's kind of how it worked out. It was both kind of a narrativist concern as well as a gamist concern, in my opinion. They're all kind of like telling the story together. And the way I let you have a bit more of a say in the story is by giving you a budget, by saying you can only buy this much credits worth of stuff. So it does kind of make sense. Like if you were on Earth in the 23rd century, because um, you just would have access to as much material as you want, you'd be able to create all that stuff for free and Starfleet would give it to you. But I thought maybe for the game, um, there'd be, we could like, to me, it's, it was one of the more interesting parts of the game that there was kind of like a budget, right? Almost like a story budget. Anyway, that's one way of looking at it. I wanted to see if everyone's going to pull it together and, and get a tricorder, basically. Mm -hmm. And they did. And so, as far as the simulation is concerned, well, um, I, I kind of thought I made it set, make sense because you'd gone through a wormhole, you went to this other system, you had all these adventures, you lost your commander, all sorts of crazy stuff has happened, you know, probably all your crap fell into a volcano or something. So you weren't even on a starship, let alone at a star base or a civilized planet where you would have unlimited access to stuff. So that's kind of how I framed it in a simulationist way. I get it. I didn't like it, but I get it. And the other thing is the price list has all kinds of crazy stuff on it. I bought all that crazy stuff. I didn't so tell you, but it's on my character sheet. Oh, great. Well, <laughs> but I mean, there's, there's stuff you probably couldn't afford fun and gonzo tech. Right. So that's to be some limiting factor, right? Because even when you're on a starship, although it's a post-scarcity society, there is a limit to the amount of physical material you have on board. Sure. And so who decides who gets what and who gets issued what? Who decides who gets a nice cabin and who gets like a regular cabin? Who gets to decorate their cabin? You know, when Enterprise runs out of dilithium, they have to find a planet where they can replenish that dilithium. They have to haggle with the miners. Why are the miners there? Because they're there because they want to get rich by mining dilithium. So there is economy. Right. And you could just say, well, Starfleet will issue stuff, but you guys are Starfleet. So you know what I'm saying? You're the ones who are issuing people stuff. So I think as we go, that'll be fine-tuned. I don't think you'll necessarily have to scrimp and scribe to get a tricorder. But I think it's kind of fun to get to say, well, now you have 10,000 credits to play with. What do you want to buy? It's not really buying so much as it's like an allowance or something. Um, anyway, so that was that was just from me. All right. Well, now that I hear all your reasoning, I'm less mad about it. I'm maybe still a little mad, but it all makes sense and fine. Fine. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so is there, <laughs> I love you, Phil. Is there anything else that you want to talk about that you personally invented for this game? Um, I think we more or less covered it. Like I said, the module just starts with saying you're crashed on the planet and you need dilithium. It gives you the map. It gives you all the areas keyed, and that's pretty much it. The whole thing is three pages. Two pages for the key, oh, one really? page for the map. Yep. Oh, shoot. That's it. So all that stuff about the coding and going back, getting back to the Cody was all me. And like you mentioned, the stuff about buying stuff. Like character creation stuff. Yeah. Yep. All that. I liked so, it. Um, I liked being able yeah. to roll for character backstory. That was really cool. That was, it was fun. Um, are there any rules or, or is there any other material that supports role-playing? Well, um, 
I would say the rules don't really get into role play. I'm not really sure. I mean, there is intellect and charisma and stuff, but you have, um, but those have kind of delineated things to do with, you know, making your science check or making your chance to know stuff or to use a psionic ability or something like that. But um, I guess it's worth asking what would be rules that would specifically support role play? Hmm. I guess that's a really good question. Let yeah. me think on that. Hey, dear listeners, if you have an idea on that, please email Engineer Eric. That's a good question, Phil. It might become more clear as we go. Well, mm. what it doesn't have, it doesn't have shipboard stuff. Like I said, the rule set is just for landing on a planet and doing stuff on the planet. So it doesn't doesn't have anything to do with like what your station is going to be on the bridge and what your role is going to be in a battle, like a space battle, you know, or this. There's even stuff like, so I made up that whole list earlier where I talked about space battles, transporters, time travel, alternate universe. That's all the, all stuff that I would expect in a Star Trek adventure based on what I've seen on TV. I think there's a bunch of stuff that you wouldn't see in TV because of just narrativist concerns they don't really get into. You don't sit down with Chekhov and really navigate, you know, plot a course and like see the charts and, you know, really understand the energy allocation or any of that sort of stuff. Provisioning of the ship, like I said that you might want to get into in an RPG, which we might be fun. It might be fun to have a map of the galaxy and say, we want to start here and get, get to there to actually, you know, plot a course and then, you know, maybe roll some encounters along the way, that sort of stuff. So we'll see. I'd have to yeah. basically get that from a different rule set. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, one other thing I want to ask is how is XP and uh, character progression handled in this? Because we didn't really talk about that in our gameplay. Yeah. I need to fill myself in on that there is an amount of XP that it would take you to get to the next level. So each level represents a rank in the game. Hmm. Um, and like, you know, you go from ensign to lieutenant as you level up. That's sort of how it's set up. And you get a better and better ship as you, as, uh, as you rank. Um, XP would be given for heroic acts and, you know, complete, completing a mission. It's probably like 100 XP for this, 100 for that, you know, 500 if you stay with a planet full of people, that sort of stuff. I'll just figure it out. Just kind of pace it and give <laughs> okay. you guys some XP. Perfect. I'll take it. Do you want to talk about ranks? About ranks? Ranks. Yeah, this is one issue that always comes up. Whenever I talk to people about doing a Star Trek RPG, they say, I can never do that because there's a rank structure in Starfleet. And I wouldn't. I won't. I don't have to do what someone else tells me to do. Oh, I think it's fun. Yeah, me too. I, I don't really think it's an issue. Do well, you? No, I think it's great for role play. Just like use it in the game. Like, um, you told us uh, at one point. You told me and Zelovich that we were actually at the same level, and that we needed to role play how we were going to handle one of us being in command. Right. And it was kind of freeing you saying that because then we could just fight it out amongst ourselves. And he and I have been playing together long enough that we could just do that. Yeah. And that was when I felt more empowered to actually role play, you know, in game. Because sometimes when you feel like you're subordinate in rank, you feel like you can't speak almost. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense. So it was kind of interesting. I think we should absolutely explore that more and explore as we're playing. Um, for us, it's less of a huge point because a lot of us are the same rank, but we still did have those dynamics. And I think that instantly creates tension and instantly creates opportunities for role-playing. So I like it. I think it was cool. Yeah. Well, 
that's a lieutenant's perspective. Let's hear from April and Eric. Do you guys want to weigh in on how it is for an ensign? I mean, I had a little bit of a hard time um, because, first of all, I'm not as outspoken all the time as some of the other players, um, especially those who were higher ranking than me. So I had a kind of a hard time being able to get a word in or, or be able to say something because I wasn't a leader. Um, however, having the definitive roles, like if you think about, um, you know, Captain Kirk and McCoy, right? McCoy was, I mean, he might have been the, the head of the medical department, but um, so he was high ranking. However, um, his opinion was just as valued as anybody else's. So I, ha I think I have to think about it more in terms of uh, actual roles on the ship as opposed to as opposed to ranking. It doesn't seem like anybody anybody's opinions in Star Trek is not given consideration, even with their rank. Um, there's I don't often hear the um, uh, the thought of you know know your place kind of a thing yeah. in Star Trek. It's it's still other people's opinions always seem to be relatively equal. Playing a different department might help because everyone is the expert in their department. Yeah, and the, the, this is Engineer Eric, by the way. Hello, everyone. Hey, um, Eric. So uh, it did become a role play element at one point. Um, so if the at one point I think the command structure was going in a direction I didn't agree with, I started speaking up. Uh, I said, "Oh, we should go this way as opposed to that way." Uh, so as I started speaking up. Um, I, I turn it into a role play element because I was acting like the brash pilot, um, speaking out of turn. Well, I think we should do blah, 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 blah. And I think at one point, um, Lieutenant Vogler, who outranked me, he was saying something like, you better remember your place, Ensign. And, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. oh, sorry. So, so that was, uh, was kind of neat. Um, it added uh, a unique uh, role play element that was uh, fun, to, fun to play with and explore. Yeah, and it's idiomatic to Star Trek too. People are always talking back in the Galileo Seven, just constantly. Anything Spock says, people like look at him and like, "Oh, really, Mister Spock?" <laughs> constantly. They don't Is even that know. What you think just everything he says, they're like, "Huh." Well, rude. Well, I think especially the way we've have it set up, where there's not like this one strong captain uh, who's just making all the calls. Um, instead, it's Dave. Um, who plays Lieutenant Vogler, and he's Dave is one of probably the most laid back guy in the group. Wouldn't you guys agree? Yes, we love yeah. you, Dave. And um, and that that really works. It works to our advantage. Once we figure it out that the other lieutenants are going to have to make some of the calls, it's kind of neat that Dave has this sort of veto pen because he occasionally feels really strong about stuff, you know. But as long as it's understood that the other people are also going to have to make stuff happen, I think that'll work out really well. Yeah. Eric, was that you? Was that... that doesn't oh. matter. Yeah. Oh, well, clap again because now I fucked it up again. All right. Keep going. Yeah, I think it's fun. Um, I'd written down another question, which was how much do normal players or casual players need to know about Star Trek to have a good experience playing this? Kind of a like a discussion topic, right? Let's just sure go for it. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't. 
have a lot of role play filling or uh, if it's a dungeon crawl, how are we going to make it feel like Star Trek? And part of that is Phil, you as a game master have asked us to watch certain episodes of various series to kind of like prepare us for the next adventure. And so I think that's super cool because it makes us see the world and kind of see how people are acting in the world. And it's different than a D&D world. But <clears throat> if I'm like a hardcore fan of Star Trek and there's things I just know and things I just accept as normal in a Star Trek universe. And so mm -hmm. when people are doing something that's completely outside that universe, I'm like, that just would never even happen. So then it becomes this weird thing of like, how much Star Trek do you need to know to actually have fun doing this? Or, or I don't know. Do you kind of understand? Oh yeah, definitely. So you, you mentioned that one of the things we're doing with our format is we're watching an episode before we play each adventure. So for this one, it was the Galileo seven. And that kind of stood to reason. And there are occasional things throughout the adventure where people would like hark back to that and everyone else knew what they were talking about. So I think that'll snowball too, don't you? As we go, we'll have that to rely yeah. on. Mm -hmm. It seems like um, within the show, if the people at the top, that the, that the people at the top really know their stuff, and like they're all in agreement. Ultimately, they have some disagreements, but at the end of the day, they've all been trained by Starfleet. Um, so I think in our future episodes, you can sort of tell us more concretely areas where you thought people weren't adhering to what you thought they should do. Not as a judgment, but just as a compare and contrast. Um, I think it'd be interesting things to uh, to be thinking about. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. I, it's just a good thing to keep in mind as we're going forward. I'm, I'm more like, are people going to have fun playing this if they don't know Star Trek? I don't know. That's something we'll look forward to learning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I have another thing I want to talk about, and that's the thing where we split the party. I've always in D&D been against splitting the party, um, just but I feel like it actually worked really well here. Eric was back at the shuttlecraft um, when everyone else went out to explore, and it let people use the communicators. He got to go and be trying other stuff. It gave him stuff to do. I thought at first it might be kind of lame for him to be left behind, but actually it gave him a chance to shine. I liked it. I liked that you kept it pretty concise and almost turn-based. Yeah. So you were checking in with each group, you know, like a turn, and you weren't staying too long with one group because some of us have a tendency to monopolize the gameplay. Possibly. Possibly true. <laughs> yeah, I'd like it also give people a chance to know when it was their turn to do something. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, all right, it's time for you to perk up and tell us what you want to do. So I thought that worked pretty well. And we'll see in the show, in many episodes, some people stay on the ship and some people don't. Uh, some people stay, go down to the planet or whatever. And then something happens, like the ship goes and has to go away because it's under attack. And there's a completely split episode. Yeah, or sometimes there's two, yeah, there's like two plots happening at the same time. And that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And it's a very normal occurrence in many Star Trek episodes. So I think it totally follows that format. I think that's great. Great. Um, though. The way, though, that you were handling it was great and that you were keeping it very brief and very concise turn-based, and I mm -hmm. think that seemed to work. I think if it went too long with any single group, all the rest of the players would get frustrated by that, um, but I didn't feel that in this particular uh, yeah. gameplay session. Uh, Eric, did you? how did you feel about that? Uh, well, so sp regarding splitting the party, um, I thought it worked out really well. I mean... Uh, I, honestly, I assumed that somebody would stay behind. Um, 
so even though we were splitting the party, it was a choice that I made as a character. Uh, because I'm the helmsman and somebody's got to stay behind and guard the ship, um, might as well be the helmsman. Um, I can stay behind, use the scanner, try to make repairs. Uh, so I made that uh, as, a, as a role-playing choice. Excellent. Um, but, but I do think that once we split the party, my sense was that uh, people felt like they had more to do because now there's only you know, two or three people in your party as opposed to six. Um, you know, when there's six people in the party, that's, that's always like the maximum number you want in any sort of RP group. And, and sometimes six is too many. Um, there's less opportunities for everyone else to play. Um, so when you had two or three people, um, all of a sudden people have more and there's more opportunity to share in the action. Uh, so I liked it. Cool. Apes, what did you think? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I don't know what happens after, and then it's Philip. Yeah. Well, when everyone was together, the same people are going to dominate, right? It's always going to be the John show. Or the Aaron show. Oh, my God. <laughs> John and Aaron, we love you. <laughs> Very fun. But, yeah, we get to see different combinations of people, too, and how they interact, and everyone gets a chance to shine. So I think that's great. Well, we would like to um, try and get into what other reviews have said about the modules that we're playing. Um, shall we do that? Yeah, let's hear what other people thought of this. Um, I had a kind of hard time finding reviews about this module because, well, it's in a rule book. And most of the reviews of the rule book tend to just go over the rules. Um, there's Robert St. John, who did the uh, Grocknard blog, good friend of the show. He really is the, the one who dug this rule book out of obscurity about 10 years ago. He said it's not really a proper RPG. It's, it's, there's no rules related to role-playing. It's just wargaming, which is because it's a miniature game. It doesn't really inspire personality-based role-playing. And it's also not very Star Trek-y, according to him. He also mm -hmm. said the game suffers from unnecessary complexity. So we used the basic combat rules, but there's also an advanced combat rules, which gets more nitty-gritty. I'm not sure we'll ever need to get into that, but we'll see. I agree with him. He's awesome and correct, and I'm happy he's a friend of the show. Yes. And then there's a, another reviewer goes by some weirdo on the internet. Perfect, does, just like all of us. <laughs> yeah, he, he stole that name, so now we have to name ourselves something else. Oh. Well, he does YouTube review video review stuff, and um, he didn't really have a lot different to say. He gave it pretty poor scores, two out of five in most areas. He thought the character creation was weak. The mechanics were weak. The presentation was weak. The writing was weak. He thought the author went for quantity over quality, which is interesting. Um, but he didn't really have anything to say about the adventure. He probably didn't run it. I don't think any of these people actually ran the adventure. They probably just looked at the map and the two pages of the sort of dungeon key and dismissed it. I don't think I would have ever run it if it weren't if we weren't doing this. If you reviewed it and you did actually play it, feel free to come at us on the internet. Yeah, please. Or come at Engineer Eric on the internet because I'm yes. not going to read any of these emails. Yeah, if you get mad that we're claiming we're the first people to ever play this and you're like, I played this first. Good for you. <laughs> anyway, on RPG.net, Matt Stevens wrote that it's it's a little more it's a little more than dungeon crawls with high tech. It's a Star Trek game that bears little resemblance to the Star Trek series. But he did think 
it was kind of interesting that the rules are similar to Dungeons and Dragons. So you still have the stats, the three to 18 range of stats, you know, and the game includes stats for Skirt, Kirk and Spock and all the other characters. Skirt, Skirt, Skirk and Spark, Skirk and Spock. Oh, wow. Go on, I'm sorry. If you're thinking of statting them up for D&D, that's done for you here. Oh, really? That's another thing. Um, that's another thing that we that we never really talked about in the rule book. It has so many pluses for Vulcans. Ooh, naturally. There's pretty much no downside to playing a Vulcan because they're super strong and they're super smart. That's right. They have psionic abilities. Yeah, we anyway, do. So that's so that's the simulationist approach, isn't it? <laughs> right? And you know, if you if you want there to be a downside for Vulcans, you really have to justify it from a narrativist or a gamist approach. We get so we'll think about that. Yeah. That or think about the up. issues in um, the Galileo 7. Uh, Spock has a real hard time leading the crew. Yeah, real right. hard time. Not for command. Um, right. And I'm they always sorry. talk about how he looks like a, a demon. Anyway. <laughs> Does not, One so more review. James Malachewski on the Grognardia blog. He said, it's a very simple game. The rules are so minimal. It's barely a game at all. So Oof. we see some kind of like opposite of what Robert St. John said about the unnecessary complexity. But, but he said it's more of a sketch of a role-playing game than anything else. The game isn't particularly good or memorable. So pretty much across the board, they didn't really say much about the adventure. They just pretty much just said, it's just a war game. It doesn't feel like Star Trek. So, Sarah Nicole, we've come Let's to the part where we get to score the adventure. Yay! Let's do it on a warp factor scale. What do you think? I love it. So if we really hate it, is it impulse engines? Yeah. If, if you really love it, it could be off the charts. It could be like warp 13. Wow, really blowing Scotty's mind. <laughs> nice. But I think it should generally be 1 to 10. Okay, that makes sense. Do you want to go first? Sure. Um, I think I would give this maybe like a 4. Mm -hmm. um, I, I probably would not play it if we weren't doing this podcast, but I didn't hate it. Um, I think the fun was the fun that we made with it as a group that had been playing together for a long time. But um, I really... Do you think I agree with some of the reviewers that it didn't feel incredibly Star Trek and that the character creation or, or it seems like the character creation parts that I enjoyed was the stuff that you cobbled together from other places? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm going to give it a solid four. What do you think? I'm going to give it a three. And I, I still feel like that's giving it the benefit of the doubt for being the first, um, the first adventure and going into uncharted territory. And at least it was different from D&D &D because there was dilithium and a shuttlecraft. And you know, it's, mm. it is based on a Star Trek episode, which I think is how I would approach writing the first module ever. Sure. Um, for, I would just take an episode and see like, how would this translate into an adventure? And just add a little bit more nitty gritty, some more stuff to do. Um, you know, as far as looking around and running into stuff that you didn't expect. You could have done a better job with some more Star Trek elements. Like there could have been some more outside the box thinking, but on the other hand, it was a learning experience for us, you know, testing out the mechanics for the first time. And for that, 
it's kind of okay, right? To yeah. be like, well, how far can a phaser shoot? And how much power does it drain when you shoot it? And what die do you roll? There was a, a lot of time that was taken up by me and you and all of us trying to figure that out. Yeah, absolutely. So it kind of did its job in that way. And at least, you know, we, we started... Um, we started out in our D&D mode, but as we went, we at least broached the question of what Starfleet procedure might be and what our roles might be, what would be appropriate behavior, what the prime directive was. And I think even though that didn't really come into play, like it wasn't like we were hit over the head with a real moral quandary right off the bat, at least I think in the future, people are going to come in thinking about that a little more. Yeah, I, I really hope so. We got to use communicators. We got to use phasers. We got to use a tricorder which is different from D&D. Like there's nothing really in D&D which tells you to go right or left, but the tricorder kind of can. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, you've got spells that can do that. You you know, you can roll for things like that, but... Yeah, well, like you said, but in D&D, you still want to go everywhere and do everything. Maybe in Star Trek, we have a little different goal. And we got to see a Vulcan talking about logic. That, most importantly. Yeah. So that's it for me, Warp Factor 3. Because I have high hopes for the future. A lot more stuff in space, hopefully. A lot more interesting planets with a lot more sex. I think that'd be great. <laughs> I'm excited about that in particular. Um, the one last thing, like what were the biggest challenges from the dungeon master's point of view or from the game master's point of view? Um for me, um it was uh it's just learning and this is maybe more an issue with the video format. Um, this is our first game using uh, like a video chat. I'm used to using my commanding presence in a room, <laughs> being able to read the room, you know, that's part of it. And with the video format, I'm not really sure, you know, uh, that I can um, really read the room always. Sure. Um, it being my first time running a Star Trek adventure, um, it's, it's just, there's so much to that's new. And sort of feeling out what it, what what it's going to be like. What's it like to have ranks? You know, how do you how do you navigate that? What's it like to have tricorders and medical kits and phases and all that stuff? It seems kind of obvious, I guess, in hindsight. But yeah, it just all like how do I narrate the shuttlecraft taking off at the end? I really didn't know how to do that. I just sort of said, okay, well, and you repair it, and it takes off. So, how much more techno babble can I really insert? I think that'll be a big challenge for me is kind of knowing the techno babble enough to be able to just bullshit, bullshit my way through it. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And I think that there's literally a techno babble website that generates random things you can say specifically for Star Trek. Oh, that sounds we fun. Should, yeah, we should all just get that up and we'd probably need to find it and link it to everybody. Because it hilarious. would be hilarious. Yeah. I'll find okay. it and we'll send it. All right. I expect everyone to use that frequently. <laughs> Great. Well, that's our review of the Shuttlecraft Crash. We hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes because it really helps us out. We also want to hear from you. So visit our website at www.rpgpopclub.com or email us at rpgpopclub at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought or if there's a module you would love for us to review. And what module are we doing next week, Phil? The next module we're doing is the second introductory module from the same rule set, and it's called the Slaver Ruins. So we're going to be watching the Slaver Weapon, uh, 
That's an episode of the animated series. And then playing the slave ru the slave ruins. <laughs> that sounds exciting. And what do people say about it? They say absolutely nothing. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Do 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 do